Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here, Locked On Nationals podcast. My conversation with Blake Finney of Federal Baseball, the SB Nation Nationals blog, uh, coming up here. We recorded this on Monday, June 22nd. Today is Tuesday, June 23rd, as I uh, do this intro. Just want to let you guys know, an episode with Nash Walker and I will be coming once we get the formal details, the final announcement on what baseball is going to look like in the MLB season here in 2020. So we're, we're really close to knowing that. I just want to wait for the details to be right. So does Nash. So we can give you guys a full episode. Um, but yeah, hope you guys enjoyed my conversation here with Blake Finney. Uh, this is Locked On Nationals Baseball podcast brought to you by Bilt Bar. 3-2 to Suzuki. Kurt Suzuki! See you later! The Nets have won it! Seven runs in the bottom of the ninth! This is deep to center field. Bellinger's back. It's a grand slam! Howie Kendrick with a 10th inning grand slam to break it open. The former Dodger breaking hearts in Los Angeles. The kick in, here it comes. Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! And a World Series Game 7 winning Curly W is in the books! The celebration is on! The Washington Nationals are the world champions! You are listening to the Locked On Nationals Podcast, your one-stop shop for news, analysis, and conversation surrounding your reigning, undisputed World Series champion, Washington Nationals. Now, here's your host, Josh Neighbors. Hello, everybody. Locked On Nationals Podcast. Today is Monday, June 22nd, 2020. My name is Josh Neighbors. Joining me tonight is Blake Finney of Federal Baseball. Um... Like you know, while I was you know just talking while we hop on the Zoom call, and the MLBPA has just voted down the most recent um, owner's proposal of 60 games, and like you said before, we are right back where we started one week ago, where we thought um, Rob Manfred would have to implement a season, and it appears that we are heading that way right now. Yeah, it's um, like you said a week ago we thought we were at this point, and then. Um, Rob Manfred, Tony Clark got in a room, maybe a virtual room with masks. I don't know. Um, figured it out. They got a vague framework by the sounds of it. Came up with that 60 games that the owners thought was a firm proposal. And then the, the players came back and said, actually, we want 70. And there were, there were probably other things in there, maybe some health and safety protocols on both sides that are still getting finalized. But it does sound like the main point is the game, number of games and the owners aren't budging from 60, which is what's kind of come to a head today. And I think from the, <clears throat> from the players union's perspective at this point, they're going to go, well, if Rob Man, if we voted down, Rob Manfred's probably going to implement a season. They reckon in the range of 54 to 60 games. So from the players perspective, they go, well, we'd rather have 54 games and then file a grievance against the MLB owners and get what they rightfully should have had because the owners haven't really negotiated in good faith in terms of trying to get as many games as possible. So that's why they've voted that down. Whether it goes against their when and where motto that's been plastered all over players' social media the last week or so is debatable, but I do think the players are mostly in the right at the moment. 
Yeah, I agree. And it's been so funny to see how people have spun the when and where thing. Like, it's almost been, I've almost seen this anti-player sentiment start kind of mm. coming up where it's like, well, you guys said when and where. And um, I mean, yeah, they, I think they've always said that. And, and the reason why I'm always, I've, I've said this a bunch, but I always tie with players, like the union needs to play hardball because, in, you know, we see this across all American sports. The players usually just get run over whether it be the NFL and the NBA has done a pretty good job of getting, of getting a lot of their players, but um, that league's enjoyed so much growth where the players and the, and the league have been able to grow together. But we, I mean, you see this all the time, you know, players get run over and it's up to baseball's union to stay firm. And, and in, in situations like this, where their side is assuming all of the risk the players are, especially as, as the risk begins to heighten with COVID, you know, surging once again, it's, I think it is incumbent for the MLBPA to fight tooth and nail for every little bit they can get for the players. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's a good point you mentioned that it's, it's the players taking the risk, not the owners. Obviously, there's all the, um, the game day staff who would actually be in on game day that are also taking on that risk as well. Um, but yeah, I think when you look back at the negotiations as well, it's also the players who are, seemingly making more concessions, especially in terms of the number of games. They started at 110 range, I think it was, and they've come down quite a lot since then. Whereas the owners, they just rehashed their 50-odd games worth of pay in different formats, in like 80-odd games, 40 games, uh, kind of juggling the pay cuts there. So I think that's where the Players' Union hope that this grievance could come and they can go, well... You didn't really negotiate in good faith. You stuck to your number and didn't budge from it. You just gave us that same proposal in a different form. So it's going to be interesting, especially with the CBA. And you would have liked to have seen both sides come to an agreement, whatever that may be. So I'm not saying the players are completely innocent. They probably could have done um, a little bit more, I guess. Uh, But yeah, especially with that CBA, it would have been good to see them on good terms. But I think now when you look at that negotiation coming up after the 2021 season, there are going to be um, more repercussions felt. You just shake your head because, I mean, you think about, you know, the ratings that some of these sports are doing. And, you know, I mean, the Premier League, I I, I was listening today um, to a podcast and they're talking about, you know, their their ratings. I mean, they did, I think it was Eddie Hearn of actually Matchroom Boxing saying, the Premier League on Sky Sports did monster ratings this past Mm. weekend as they come back to play. And, you know, the MLB just missed a chance. And I, they missed a chance to, um, to come back and, and be a part of, you know, this, this, the sporting resurgence as we're seeing it. And, you know, NASCAR has been a part of that. And, you know, we started this podcast late because I was watching, you know, the end of the NASCAR <laughs> race at Talladega. But, you know, I just, it's, it sucks as people, you and I, you know, we love baseball. We played baseball. It's, it's one of those things where it just breaks your heart that, that, baseball we've talked about so much and how it's fading and dying among some some groups uh, you know younger demographics and they had a chance to capture not just those demographics imagination and and, and attention but everybody's and make a resurgence and um instead you're seeing why so many people actually went away from the sport in the 90s and i think it's just you know two guys who talking frankly you know who love the sport of baseball that's kind of been the hardest pill to swallow i guess yeah definitely and um the topic of the night is, is kind of um topical given that long gone summer documentary that was on and how it right. 
recaptured the nation with that home run race, but maybe you don't see steroids, but they've got to <laughs> come up, got to come up with something. And especially where the, they had a chance to start, I think the initial start date would have been around the 4th of July, comfortable, comfortably like three weeks ahead of NHL playoffs, NBA finishing off um, their regular season and going into the postseason. So you would have had potentially three weeks if the virus um, kills all of that and you can't actually start then, then that's a completely different thing. That's out of everyone's hands. But having that opportunity to at least get that, get that scheduled in and potentially have three weeks all on your own um, in terms of the four major sports in the US, it was golden. And again, the, the labor issues undermined that. The Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting, best for you sports performance bar in the game today. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the code LOCKEDON for $10 off on your first order. Built Bar has 16 flavors, all chocolate, 8 with nut, 8 without nuts, so there is something for everybody. My personal favorite is the chocolate mousse flavor. My dad loved the peanut butter chocolate flavor and the mint chocolate flavor. There is also the Built Boost, which are uh, mixes for sports energy drinks. I love the Blackberry Lemonade one. It was delicious. So once again, go to BuiltBar.com. Use the code LOCKEDON for $10 off on your first order. The Lockdown Nationals podcast is brought to you by RockAuto.com. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest price possible rather than change charging prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or an account login. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. All right, so let's talk some nats. Um, this is like the first time I've been able to really, you know, sit down with somebody and, and discuss some, some serious national stuff. It's, it's all been a lot of conversations around like, well, does the, you know, does the restart benefit the Nats? And that's obviously a difficult conversation to have because, you know, we, we don't know when the restart is going to be. But now, you know, we have um, – I kind of like to give it some time after the draft happens because it's usually a lot of positive energy after a draft. And now we've had some time to sit back and reassess things and, and just kind of think about the, the way the Nationals went. Um, first round, they take Cade Cavalli. And, like, this was the most predictable thing ever, right? Like, they're going to – like – I mean, death taxes and the Nationals taking a power pitcher uh, with the first pit with their first draft pick. How, how do you feel about Kay Cavalli? He's now signed. Um, how do you feel about the Nats' first round pick? Yeah, when you're kind of drawing up who the Nats could pick, obviously there was a lot of buzz around Cole Wilcox for a lot of the same reasons, really. Um, but yeah, big power pitcher, mid 90s fastball, college star with some health concerns that maybe dropped him a little bit. Um, I feel kind of good about that. It feels like a potentially higher floor pick than they're used to making. So I think what some of the experts and some of the scouts rave about is how easy his high-end velocity comes out. And in theory, that's not going to create elbow arm issues. He did have, I think he missed some time. Um, I think it was a stress reaction. Um, 
But yeah, in terms of that, he's got all the raw stuff. He didn't quite put it all together in college, but a lot of that is he didn't start pitching until his sophomore year in high school, and he didn't start exclusively pitching until this abbreviated 2020 season. He was uh, he was primarily a first baseman DH at Oklahoma and pitched on the side, and then it was the it was his um, sophomore year where people started to take notice, and then he started off excellent in 2020. Um, had 35 strikeouts to five walks. So there's plenty of optimism that hopefully once you get him in a minor league system, get him the the coaching system and get him exclusively focusing on pitching that he can make his way through the system and be a solid kind of mid-rotation starter for the Nationals. And with, you know, I, I once again, I'm posing questions based off of restarting stuff. But one of the big conversations that I was having with any, you know, anybody and everybody around baseball is, look, I think you're going to see some of these guys, I mean, like, where are they going to go, right? Like, like if there's no minor league mm. baseball, we're, you know, there's a chance that we – and I don't know how high the chance is, but there's a chance a guy like Cade Cavalli, you know, with injuries and things, could find his – do you think he could find his way onto a major league roster, you know, with them expanding rosters and there being no minor leagues? Because where does a guy like that go? You need him to develop. And if there's no baseball happening anywhere, where is he going to do that? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he's necessarily a guy, especially given that he's not necessarily focused on pitching as right. much until right. recently. Um, maybe there's a couple of the top-end guys, um, not necessarily on the Nationals. Right. Um, maybe someone like Max Meyer is one that the Marlins mentioned. I don't know. Maybe the Marlins still rebuild him. But guys kind of like that who are who have experience in relief in college, have the top-end stuff that could make it. But I don't think you're going to see too many I think what you'll likely see with a lot of these prospects is they'll go and play probably like an expanded instructional league type thing so play against some of the other um major league team major league um or players in similar positions so mm-hmm. play down in Florida play in Arizona even though those cases are <laughs> right. massively on the rise so right. maybe, maybe not there but you, yeah. you get the I idea playing yeah, yeah. play against some of the recently drafted guys from this year maybe some of the high schoolers from last year something like that to um, help them develop this year and hopefully resume normality in 2021 and beyond. Uh, let me ask you about the other pitchers, Cole Henry, Holden Powell, and Mitchell Parker. Um, another, one of the, another one of those San Jacinto guys, they, just, they pump them out there. I mean, you see every, every roster in college baseball, at, at least at the Power 5 level, uh, it appears to have at least one or two players from San, San Jacinto College. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, out of those, you know, out of those three guys, I didn't really get to see much of Parker or Powell, but I did get to see Cole Henry pitch. Was pretty impressed. Uh, what do you, you know, what do you know about those guys? How do you feel about them? And um, how do you think that's did with their other pitching prospects they got? I think Cole Cole Henry is a really interesting one. He's the he's the kind of guy with first round upside, but um, I think this was his sophomore year so he actually had quite a lot of leverage and when you see him drop out the first round and drop a bit in the second round you think well probably going back to to college maybe a bit like Cole Wilcox even though he made it to the third round and the Padres are uh I think I saw an early report that they were going to sign him but yeah when it gets to that point he had first round upside had um some injuries in his freshman year but uh being the ace at LSU in your freshman year is something you've got to take note of and um Plenty of excitement around him. Still unsigned as yet. The Nats do have some slot bonus money that they can allocate to him and get get him signed over slot. And if you take him in the second, then um, you've got to be pretty confident that you can sign him. And I think um, less so than uh, Parker, 
So, yeah, Parker Mitchell. Mm-hmm. I keep getting it mixed up. I think it's Mitchell. Uh, it's, Mitchell it's Mitchell Parker. <laughs> it's Mitchell Parker, right? I believe it's Mitchell Parker. No, I think it. I think it's Parker Mitchell. Yeah. Okay. That's well, you're, you're okay. I'm on your publication, so I will. <laughs> uh, so you have to take that one up with Patrick because it, it does say it does say Mitchell Parker here on the uh, on the old uh, the draft summary. Uh, maybe I typed it in wrong. <laughs> right, we'll go with that. <laughs> Oh man! But yeah, I th- going back to what I was going to say, m- I was going to focus on Holden Powell because it's the second time um, in two years that they've taken a reliever in the top four rounds. So, one of the best relievers in college baseball, one stopper of the year in 2019, um, and they took Matt Cronin in kind of a similar spot last year in the fourth round. So, um, they have taken quite a few. Uh, specialist reliever so I don't know if it's a concerted effort to actually help develop them because obviously that's something they've not been great at recently and tried to fix that with um, minor league signings with spring training invites so I think Holden Powell is definitely one to to keep an eye on and maybe not one that could have made the major leagues this year but someone who's going to rise through the system when minor league baseball does resume. Um. So the, the other guy that, that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about this kid. Sammy Infante had a full ride lined up to uh, Miami, obviously a baseball powerhouse shortstop. who's was only 18 years old and they get him. Um, how are you? Are you excited about, you know, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. I, I'm, I think this kid's got all the potential in the world. Um, seems to be a, just a, a good, a good kid and a quality player as well. Um, your thoughts about Infante and what the Nats got there with, with that pick? Yeah, I think he, he's the type of player that does everything well without one necessarily exceptional tool. Like he can hit, he can hit for a bit of power and obviously he's a high schooler. So hopefully he can come into a bit more power as he gets older and gets through the minor league system. Um, so I, I kind of like him. And I think when he was on, um, when he was on a conference call with the reporters after the draft, uh, I thought he, he spoke really well, um, and I think he's got quite good baseball IQ. So hopefully someone who, at the very least, could be maybe like a solid utility player in the major leagues. I think my uh, comparison is kind of like Dansby Swanson Light, who does everything really well. Um, and yeah, they've got him for a little bit over slot. I think slot value was about 800K, and they've signed him for a million. So mm-hmm. it's a good get, especially given that he had a, a full ride at Miami. Uh, and, and so, you know, with, with the draft as a whole, I mean, like, what, what grade would you give the Nationals? I think you're, look, you're looking at kind of like an A minus, B plus. So I, yeah. I think when I was going through and grading it, you're giving like a, a solid B plus for Cavalli, nothing unexpected. No, what, like, they didn't have anyone fall to them like Martin did to the Blue Jays, for example. I think Henry is the pick that I give the highest grade because you're probably getting someone who was ranked higher than where they took him. And especially with his upside, I like that pick. Again, Infante, solid. I like Powell. Lindsley was an interesting one in the fourth because yeah. you're obviously going for a senior sign. You kind of have to do it. I don't know if he was necessarily the senior sign that I would have taken, especially right. if you're going in the fourth and people were probably looking to do that in the fifth to free up some of that slot bonus money. So that's the one I'm dubious one on, especially in the fourth. Maybe they thought, Mitchell Parker. Was it is. Maybe they thought he was slightly a slightly riskier sign. So if they didn't sign him and lost that fifth slot money, then they would still save a lot by taking Lindsley in the fourth and signing him just for that 
20k. Uh, and Mitchell Parker's like a nice little dart throw, given the season that he was having at San Jack struck out. He was striking out over two in inning, I think, in um, in the season before it was cut down. So I think that's a nice little dart throw in the fifth. Uh, all right, Blake, where can people find you on Twitter? And also, where can they find your work? You can find me on Twitter at Finney Blake, and you can find me writing at Federal Baseball, hopefully with the season in a month or so, an actual spring training, we might actually have more to write about again, thankfully. Have you been working on anything uh, as of late? Uh, not right now. My last piece was on um, Sammy Infante, who we talked about, and um, I, I did enjoy his confidence in calling himself a huge steal. You don't often hear that from right. draftees. You get, you get the usual recycled uh, PR-made statements. But like I said, I thought he was really impressive, so I'm really looking forward to seeing him develop. All right. We, uh, we appreciate your time, Blake, during these strange times. And once again, I, I keep saying, like, we just cross our fingers with baseball and it has not worked yet. Let me tell you something, Blake. We've, I've, I started this podcast in January. We've done like 55 episodes without one pitch of baseball being thrown. And it's just <laughs> like, what the hell are we doing? Like, what are, like, what are we doing? You know, it's, it just, you start to feel a little bit mad and crazy when you do it. It's, you know, we're like, we're beating our heads against the wall, craving for baseball. And they just refuse to give it to us. Ugh. If we get to 2022, you might have to disband the podcast. <laughs> I, if there's no baseball, it's going to be way before that. I can, I can promise you that. All right, Blake Finney of Federal Baseball, we appreciate your time.